issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. Thank you to Anne Musa for starting off our program. You're listening to Channel Africa right here on the shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, on uh, DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. You can also stream us live on our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking back at a story that uh, we have actually looked at uh, before, which is uh, looking at the outcomes of the EU Migration Summit. Although EU countries have held the summit as victorious, they've also admitted that there's still a lot that needs to be done. Some European Union countries have promised to take in migrants rescued from the Mediterranean Sea to alleviate the burden on Italy and Greece, but the the details rather remain unclear. According to media reports, In an effort to avoid a chaotic situation, leaders agreed that there should be a shared effort, but only on a voluntary basis. Countries will take in uh, rescued migrants and establish processing centers to assess asylum claims on their soil. EU leaders called for migrant processing centers in North African countries such as Algeria, Egypt and Libya. Well, joining us back in our studio as a follow-up to our last discussion when the summit was taking place in Europe. We have uh, Minka Estatler who's joining us. She's the Media and Digital Content Officer at Amnesty International South Africa. Also have we have uh, Leon Isaacson who's the Managing Director for Global Migration South Africa. Minka, w- what are your thoughts on uh, what has happened so far? We know that the European leaders have papered uh, really over the decisions on migration with the promise that some EU countries will take in migrants rescued from the Mediterranean and see but we know that there were still a few contentions around this good morning good morning to you and uh, and uh, to leon and the listeners um yes we are as amity international we are not impressed we don't think human rights have been actually been put to the forefront of these decisions we think that uh the new migration plans are dangerous and self-serving and it's just building i think i read somewhere fortress europe and uh that some countries are really reneging on their their responsibilities and their duties and that the the whole the principles upon which the, the eu were built sure. are being ignored and mm. i think i also read somewhere you know international law is just being seen as an international humanitarian or human rights law is just being seen as a as an annoyance and being seen as something mm. that, uh, you know, um, that they, they'd rather not, you know, have. Mm. So, and uh, you would think that history would have taught mm. all of us something, mm. and yet it seems that that's not the case. Mm. Well, um, let me come to you, Leon. What are your thoughts on uh, these European outcomes, especially after the summit? It's been interesting to hear the anti-migration stance that has been taken by some countries. We know Italy was very much uh, uh, really... Uh, 
making a threat to veto the entire uh, text of um, an outcome that came out in terms of making sure that there is a shared responsibility in this regard and uh, they wanted more from other EU states to help them with migrants that are arriving on their shores. Uh, what, what do you think of just the whole mantra and the state and the posture of Europe when it comes to uh, migration? Mm. So, so that tends to be the first port of call. So they're correct. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, they tend to land in Italy and then kind of fan out or move across to other parts of parts of Europe. Mm. And, and Italy bears the brunt. That, that's a practical reality, and that's backed up by the numbers. Sure. Uh, and and the EU policies, uh, the EU itself is set up to share the load of, of everything and anything, and um, the, the costs and the distribution of refugees. And I'm talking sort of very sort of quickly and high-level strokes here, should be shared by everybody. However, um, Italy, just because of the geographic position, tends to tends to receive a majority and they, and, and they kind of carry the burden. You know, and, and Minka was the, picked up on the, picking up on a point that Minka mentioned earlier, you know, you have this body of high-level law, um, which is very noble, but, I mean, having worked with refugees in other parts of the world, I've seen that, that often... Countries will try to do things kind of in the quick and nasty way. Um, and on the ground, people are not well treated. I mean, being a refugee um, is, is in and of its own a, a kind of a desperate situation. Um, and people are trying to get away from bad economies in Africa and repressive regimes, lo- looking for something better or to be reconciled with families. And, that sort of thing. and they're not well treated on the way. Um, and, and this is something which... Um, I think the EU has to really knuckle down and take some responsibility for. I mean, having said that, it's, it's, very, it's very clear if you go back even a couple of hundred years in history, everybody's happy with refugees when they can make a contribution to the economy. In other words, if they are useful laborers like the Turks in Germany, there was an agreement between the governments and Germany wanted particular labor market gaps filled, Everybody agreed to that, and it was done, and everybody was happy with it. But when you get to a situation now um, where economies are not great in Europe, so the economic situation is not good, um, what you find is that people turn on refugees and the others who kind of are treated like second-class citizens, and they don't—they're treated as people who are not contributing anymore, but taking away, and that puts them in a very, very um, negative position in those societies from there going going forward. All right, all right. I get that whole perspective, but what was worrying is just um, you know the issue of the secure centres for migrants, which will yes. be set up in the EU mm-hmm. states to process mm-hmm. these asylum claims under yes. this deal. What was actually worrying was the fact that how this is going to unfold and the details of this was very yes. thin, Leon. So I, I think that, look, you know, politicians are not always, yeah, I have friends who are politicians. <laughs> they're, not, they're, not, they're not always experts. So they put together something which looks good. I think if you start looking at the humanitarian conditions of these centers, once they're set up, I mean, they're probably immediately going to be overcrowded like all other refugee centers. People will be treated arbitrarily. They won't have access to 
law and their normal rights as refugees, and it's probably going to be another debacle. So the only way to really deal with these is either to monitor them with external bodies like Amnesty and, and, and the UN High Commission on Refugees and others, so they're very closely monitored from the start. That's the first thing. Secondly, there must be mechanisms in place throughout these processes so that people are not imprisoned. So you're not simply creating a prison and then returning yeah. people sure. without proper legal process because you can't, you can't process these claims in a couple of hours or a couple yeah. of days. So people's, people's claims to, for example, um, political persecution in, in, in a home country or another country has to be properly investigated. And if you send them back to a repressive regime, they're probably going to get abused and killed over there anyway. So that, that, that will never pass muster sure. if, this, if this goes to a higher court. Very interesting what Leon is highlight, highlighting there, Minka, especially how that idea of those uh, centers is going to be actually uh, fulfilled in terms of making sure that... Uh, uh, due processes are followed. It's going to be complicated. It's extremely complicated and it really worries us. For us, it's a, it's just a flimsy euphemism for imprisoning people, as Leon said, you know. And then, and then, as he also said, these these processes or processing someone's asylum application doesn't just happen overnight. So then you're starting to see things like uh, Manus Island um, off um, um, Pap- um, in Papua New Guinea and, you know, what Australia's done there. And it's really not working. And people's human rights are absolutely non-existent. And then you also have the deal that, that, that the EU's made with Libya and we as an organization have a huge issue with that. There's about 9,000 people that have been returned or are picked up out of the ocean by Libyan authorities and taken back to Libya and then either kept there in horrific circumstances where they're tortured and abused and raped or sent back, like Leon said, to the countries where they came from originally. And as I said before in my previous interview was people don't leave those countries because they're seeking adventure. They leave those countries because they're forced to leave those countries. So now it just looks like the EU isn't really learning from what they're seeing around the world. They, they, they just want to reenact it and it will become very complicated. And essentially people are then imprisoned. And also, you know, okay, if you're not splitting up families, as the US did for a bit, um, those children are still essentially imprisoned as well. And it's like, and imprisoning children is absolutely unacceptable also. So it just becomes mired in, in huge human rights worries and how this is actually going to happen in practice. What do you think of that suggestion that was brought forward by um, Leon there that maybe we should have organizations such as yours to actually facilitate this process if it does actually happen? Totally agree, and uh, and there are colleagues of mine that are based in Geneva. That also in Brussels, we have a, a very very strong European team that work on this. Um, our big thing that we do is we engage with governments, so they are working currently to engage with governments and to say, okay, but you have to include us, like Leon said, and you have to include not only us, uh, the IOM, include other organizations that have been working on the ground. We are a monitoring and research organization, but then you have your first response response organizations that have been providing medical care, for example, in the case of MSF and others, and, uh, and that all of these organizations also need to be included in the conversation and then how this is going to happen. Um, because at the moment we just foresee that years from now it's it's going to be um, a proper crisis and it's not a crisis at the moment the, the numbers are not as hectic as 
some of your populists in Europe try and make out in their uh, political campaigns. But, uh, uh, you know, we could be seeing a humanitarian. There was one in 2015, but we could be seeing it becoming even worse as years go on if they don't include organizations like ours. We do monitor anyway, but working closely with governments and engaging with them, we find, is very important because you do ultimately need the political will. So we've been to Manus Island, for example. We have people on the ground there that monitor it all the time, monitor, you know, suicides of, of, of refugees, young people that have just lost hope mm. and, and end their lives and, um, and other things. And uh, so we do that anyway, but the ideal is obviously to work with governments. seems like there are a lot of questions around uh, the migrant resolution. It's still pending in terms of how things will unfold, details of how also uh, European Union countries will work together as still to be actually elaborated upon but it seems that also Africa is going to be impacted by some of the decisions that have been made by the European Union. We know that there's a plan according to the discussions at the EU Migrant Summit that countries such as Algeria, Egypt, Libya, Morocco, Niger and Tunisia will also see migrant processing centers established in those particular countries and that forges the question of what uh, what will the role of Africa be? How should Africa actually engage with Europe in this conversation? We'll ask those questions after this break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, we're looking at the outcomes of the European Union Migrant Summit, which uh, was taking place uh, uh, just a few days ago. And uh, it seems like there's a lot of uh, worries around uh, some of the issues that actually were agreed upon by uh, European leaders at the gathering. We know the main issue was the fact that there will be an establishment of processing centers to assess asylum claims on uh, uh, European soil. We know that um, Italy was actually very strong in terms of its view on how uh, it wants uh, the rest of uh, European countries to share uh, the burden of uh, asylum seekers reaching their shores. And uh, I just uh, want to look at uh, the African dynamic with our guests. If you're just joining us, we've got Leon Isaacson, who's the Managing Director for Global Migration South Africa. Africa, Minka Staitler, who is the media and the digital content officer at Amnesty International South Africa. Leon, before the break, mm. I'm intrigued by just how Africa has actually been sitting and watching Europe's, Europe, le- European leaders making decisions for them. What's interesting is the fact that uh, at the summit it was agreed that also processing centers will be established in African countries. How do you think uh, Africa should actually interact? 
interact with this. We know South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa spoke against uh, uh, some of these detention centers and was very strong against that particular decision. What do you think Africa's role would be moving forward here? Look, I think that there's, there's something that, um, again, to my political friends, they, they miss in this dynamic. Um, human beings historically have been mobile. In other words, people have had the ability to move around um, to better opportunities. And as Minka said earlier, people don't do this because they're looking for weekend fun. They're in, they're in crisis or they're in a situation where they realize that life will be better somewhere else. And that closest somewhere else is the European shores. So if you're looking at the Mediterranean, that's the that's where they go to. Um, and I'd just like to bring in another point. Um, I don't know how many people you know who have been through this kind of level of trauma and upheaval in their lives, excuse me, <coughs> or their family lives, and have survived and gone on to tell the story. Now, a, a, a very interesting South African um, professor at Oxford has researched this, and he calls these people extraordinary people. And obviously he's talking about the people who have a, a bigger vision, who want to move somewhere else. They may be running away from repression, but they have the resources, <coughs> the human, the, the, the individual resources and the resilience to go somewhere else and try and make a better life. And that is a huge, huge thing. I, I, if I look at the people within my friendship circle, none of them have ever had to face that kind of thing. But because of the work I do, I've come sure. across people who've done exceptional things. Now, I think we've got to recognize that our political structures at the moment don't accommodate these people. Mm. And in fact, they should. And when I talk about political structures, mm. I'm talking about the boundaries of our countries. And obviously, countries are not going to allow people to come in randomly as criminals mm. or terrorists or whatever. And that's part of the security responsibility. But, you know... African countries included from their own neighbors in Africa do not manage this situation very well. So in South Africa, for example, we have people who are now coming from northern states into South Africa, and they're being put into centers, um, and, and their rights are being violated because they, they have no access to legal, legal advice. Um, this is something which is effectively against the international practice. So I think governments are not coping. I mean, that's, that's my, my bottom line. Um, and if you look at the long-term research of these com- into these communities, where they've integrated and had opportunities, they generally, they generally exceed the achievements of local people, and they, they make quite a significant contribution economically. Mm-hmm. So if you just look at those two factors... Um, these people can make a contribution. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it has to be managed. So there's always a security concern. There's a law and order concern. One of the things I'm I'm missing in the process Mm -hmm. with most of the the discussion is we know that it's a traumatic process, just from our common sense, Mm -hmm. to move to another country. To do that under duress is extra traumatic. What is not being dealt with is, is that trauma, number one, so these people are often scared and maybe angry, and then they get there and they're abused, so it increases the anger and the trauma. But, but I see very little attempt and very little thinking going into assisting people to acclimatize 
to the culture they're going into so that they can actually identify and speak to people and have some commonality with the local people where they're going to be staying, and the language. Mm. Because, because these are the things which make us feel comfortable. If you go to a foreign country, you want to at least understand why people are doing and saying things, and you want to be able to converse with them. And, and I don't see those kinds of programs being addressed as, as a simple way of, of assisting people to integrate. And I think it's not just an African problem, it's not just a European problem, it's a global problem. You but, can see, I mean, without shifting the discussion, because sure. I know mm. this is your focus, if you look at mm. the American situation, mm. they clearly have no idea yeah. as to how to deal with the, the immigration issues, and it's now been politicized to mm. the point where it's com- completely blown out of proportion. Well, Minke, what are your thoughts there, Leon, highlighting the fact that he has the view, the fact that even Africa doesn't know how to respond to its own crisis, and highlighting problems of detention centers that have been established in countries such as South Africa and the contradiction of having our own president in South Africa saying that he's against detention centers in Europe while we have our own. And now we're watching Europe making decisions for something that also affects us as a continent. How do you think Africa should intervene? Do you think we have a way forward? Do you think Africa has a political will in this regard? So, yeah, interestingly, um, an idea that was flighted by uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, who is uh, an interesting leader, he was um, African hotspots. In other words, that people um, are handled in Africa, and then if their asylum applications are successful, then they move to Europe. That's actually stayed in the EU's plans, which is absolutely incredible, because um, one of those interesting stats is that 85% of um, refugees in the world are housed by middle-to-low-income countries anyway, and and these middle-to-low-income countries are obviously under huge strain. I think, if I remember correctly, a country like Lebanon just openly said they just do not have the capacity anymore. And so with the African countries, a lot of uh, refugees are in African countries already. Sometimes um, it's it's going uh, okay, other times it's going not so well. We don't have detention centers at this stage, as far as I understand, in South Africa. It's always been one of our pride points is that we're one of the countries where it's sort of easier in, in, in inverted commas, but Leon might be able to know more about this, but to integrate, so to speak. But that's been changing as well. So we had, used to have six uh, rece- uh, refugee reception officers. Now there's only three of which the operationality of them is, is, is also under question. Um, um, people have to go back all the time. They get treated absolutely horrifically. I heard we had a dialogue last week, and uh, one of the refugees said that um, uh, some refugees would prefer to remain undocumented because of the experiences that they have at these reception offices. And what we also understand is there are ideas flighted, yes, to have some of these camps on our northern borders, in fact, probably one or two, and that everyone must go there and then be processed from there. And Oh, it just fills you because they're not even being processed as we speak now. So why would that work? And uh, yeah, so African countries are definitely sitting with their own challenges. And when you hear the EU saying that they want to do African hotspots for for refugees where they will be processed, and then if they pro- if they if you know if they're successful, they get to go to Europe. It it's not working in Africa already. And as I mentioned earlier, countries like Libya, the human rights records of those countries that don't even really have stable governments um, is is also massively under question. So it's just uh, really worrying to see how people are trying to pass the buck and are trying to hope that it'll just go away and, uh, and, and pretending to take responsibility but aren't really. So there is no political will? We don't think there's real political will, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, uh, Leon said really rightly, and, and it's not just in the States, this issue has become a political game, has become a political game playing. It's about power play between politicians or political parties and, uh, and gaining votes, um, uh, you know, using hashtags like stop the invasion and mm. building walls. I mean, Hungary wow. built a wall along its mm. southern border and, and we know what Trump's up to and all of that. So for, for us, it feels like political game playing, but we, um, we still really, we work very hard to engage with, mm. with governments. We talked to the AU, mm. speaking of Africa. Um, we talked to the government here. Um, we actually had the Department for International um, Relations and Cooperation at our dialogue last mm. week very much involved. Um, so the Department of Home Affairs, unfortunately, did not um, arrive as they said they would, but Durko was there. So there are moves, you know, there are people in government as well who want to find solutions to this. So one mustn't just mm. brush everyone with the same tar brush. Mm. But... Um, but it is hard and political will is where the buck stops. Mm. So we can do as much as we want. And when I say we, I don't mean just Amnesty. Mm. I mean organizations like Leon's organization, you know, UN, Refugee Agency, uh, IOM, everybody. Um, we can do as much as possible. But ultimately, if there's no political will, we have a problem. Leon, someone we've been championing since me and you have been speaking about migration in the last three years or so is uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel. But it seems like she has been under a lot of pressure due her pro-migration efforts to actually make sure that there's shared responsibility for migration in Europe. And now she's not even sure that the current deal will secure her future within her coalition government, which seems very rocky due to her... Uh, style of handling the issue of refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, Where do you think she sits right now currently? I think she's in a very rocky area. So, I mean, this is what we're talking about was only really completed about 10 days ago. Um, I think that she is very vulnerable. Germany is one of the richest countries in Europe. Um, It has um, taken in refugees from two main sources, from the Mediterranean, Africa, as well as from the Turkish-Syrian side, um, and, and, and it's a lot for, compared to the other countries. What is happening in Germany is in the build-up to their next elections, um, politicians who are kind of reading what people are saying and reading what people are feeling are starting to use it against her as an issue. So again, as Mika said, they're not dealing with this as a principled, legal, humanitarian issue. They're dealing with it as, as an anti-Merkel issue. Um, and I think that leaders in Europe at the moment are are in very, very difficult positions. I mean, the, a lot of change of government, a lot of difficult issues. I mean, you look at how the, 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 the UK, um, p- part of the UK's issue with Brexit is that the refugee burden and the, and the mm. migration burden shifted to the UK on, mm. on an uncontrolled basis um, at, at some point in the UK. In fact, put their foot down. That's one of the reasons why they eventually ended up with a Brexit thing. Um, so yes, she's, she's in a she's in a difficult position. But hey, that's the nature of politics. You know, I, 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 we would love to see ideal situations where where everything is everything is perfect. But um, we'll, we'll see whether it actually counts for her or against her um, in the next election. But it's the politicians who displace her and maybe push her out of office think that this problem is going to go away, it's going to be exactly the same the day after the election. It's not going to be resolved. And they will have to go back to the same 
um, colleagues and uh, compatriots in Europe uh, at the leadership level, and they will have to deal with exactly the same issues. Well, I'm going to take one more break and then uh, we'll just uh, wrap it up after that. Uh, you are listening to Channel Africa, uh, giving you news from an African perspective. This is African Dialogue. We're looking at the European Union migrant uh, summit uh, resolutions and uh, trying to figure out what's the way forward. It seems like uh, uh, there isn't much of an openness when it comes to migration. Still, still, like seems like uh, autonomous countries are still gauging their own populations against the migrants that are coming in. Uh, We'll ask the question, what's the way forward from here and wrap up the conversation with our guests. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Lily's Leaf Farm in northern Johannesburg, South Africa, was the farm used secretly by African National Congress activists in the 1960s and was the location where several prominent freedom fighters were arrested, leading to the Rivonia trial. Today, Lily's Leaf Farm is a museum and world-famous heritage site. As part of the 100 years of Mandela celebrations, Channel Africa will be broadcasting live from the farm this coming Thursday, the 12th of July. Join us on Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time for a discussion on Mandela before his arrest. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushata. I'm right here on African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, uh, where we uh, look at uh, news from an African perspective. Uh, today, discussing the European Union and our Migration Summit and the resolutions that came from that particular gathering. We're joined by Minke Staitler, the Media and Digital Content Officer at Amnesty International South Africa. With us is the Managing Director for Global Migration South Africa, uh, Leon Isaacson. Let's wrap it up in some way Minka way forward from here it seems like uh, there's still a lot of unhappiness especially in civil society around how this issue is dealt with internationally is there a path forward I think since we don't have political will at this point, it is a, an, 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 a, an opportunity for NGOs and organizations and international organizations to have a rethink and think, okay, how can we change the narrative? Because a lot of it is around populism, is around, you know, stop the invasion. It's an invasion of people, you know, the use of words. And I think the media is very powerful in that as well. If the media can also start reporting and saying, look, it's not an invasion. These are the figures. These are the numbers. This is the reality of it. Because a lot of people believe what they hear from politicians and I think civil society and the media can work together to change that narrative and that will be a small beginning um, towards a popular popular ideas or popular ideas within lay people, people are not involved in politics but live in these countries can start saying, you know what, this is wrong. And then as Amnesty, we also just say there has to be predictable disembarkation plans, there has to be safe and legal routes and alternative routes for people to take when they take uh, dangerous journeys and that we were really hoping that we would see talk around those kinds of issues um, at the EU. But I think for now, the way forward is to start changing the narrative on the ground and civil society and the media are very powerful 
powerful and can be very powerful, useful, and can make change happen together by doing that. What are your thoughts, Leon? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at the if you look at the profile of the issue, in other words, that public awareness and consciousness that Pinky's talking about, the the actual numbers of people going across the Mediterranean to or to Europe are, are down by ninety five percent, and and the profile and the talk um, has not has not reduced in proportion to that. In other words, this crisis which the EU leaders have um, labelled as a crisis, this issue which they've labelled as a crisis, is actually one twentieth of the scale as it was four years, three, four years ago in 2015. So it, it, it's this political drive and this political issue of actually pushing pushing this the, the blame for the problems of Europe and the blame for other problems like unemployment in Europe and all sorts of crime and all the, all those sorts of things um, is is being pushed onto is being pushed onto a, a refugee crisis. Um, ultimately, the leaders of these countries need to come up with better policies, and I think we have to hold them accountable um, as as the public in these different countries. Better policies and better implementation, because there's nothing. Uh, one thing they're definitely not short of across the board with all of these plans is the budget. The EU's got the money. They're typically throwing around hundreds of millions and billions of euros. They should be able to put together workable plans which meet the human rights criteria and deal with people on a humane basis. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you guys uh, for your time and giving us uh, your views and expertise on the program. Uh, That was the voice of Leon Isaacson, Managing Director for Global Migration South Africa. Thank you as well to Minka Stetler for coming to our studios once again to assist us on this particular subject matter. She's the Media and Digital Content Officer at Amnesty International South Africa. Well, that discussion takes us to 11.40 Central African time. Uh, Thank you for joining us on Shortwave. If you're listening to us uh, on our Shortwave services, remember we are 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for also listening to us on DSTV and Channel 802 on the audio bouquet in South Africa and neighboring countries. Don't forget you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Let's get some music and then uh, we'll come back with our business news and then after we'll have our African sports news coming up uh, after our business update. Boundaries in 
Thank you.